and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined by my partner, Mark Shinowski, as we record this podcast on Thursday, prior to the Bulls starting the second half of the NBA season. And Mark, uh, the Bulls do start the second half of the season, currently in ninth place, just two games out of fourth, but also two and a half games out of 12th place. So obviously the Eastern Conference is very bunched up. Yeah, when you look at the second half schedule, I think it's ranked as the seventh most difficult schedule in the league. They do open up with five home games, but they're against some pretty tough opponents, and they have to go on the road and play Denver and Utah. So it's it's going to be very challenging to see if the Bulls can even maintain that near 500 pace they had in the first half of the season. Optimistically, you know, they're getting Lowry Markinen back. Maybe they're getting Otto Porter back. I never count on him until I actually see him out on the court. But I think getting Lowry back will really be a boost for this team because he's a legitimate seven-footer, a versatile guy who can make threes, who can cut to the basket, finish at the rim. I think he's also an underrated defensive rebounder. You know, some of these games in the last month or so, especially when Wendell Carter was out, they were going with lineups with Thad Young at center, and you'd see – Garrett Temple and Denzel Valentine, the forwards with uh, Zach and Kobe in the backcourt. And they were going super small. So I think it's going to really help Billy Donovan to have more big men at his disposal. It also probably means we won't be seeing much of Luke Cornett or Daniel Gafford in the second half, which is fine. Gosh, you just ruined my day. Um, well, you know what? <laughs> we have a lot of sound bites, but why don't we start right off the bat from Lowry Markinen right here, right now, because – he is going to be reinserted. I'm sure he's going to start in these games. There's no reason for him to come off the bench. And I, there's probably no reason for him to have a minute restriction either. That's my guess. So anyway, let's hear from Lowry Markinen where he says, I don't think there will be any restrictions in my play. Uh, we haven't to be honest, we haven't talked about that at all. I'm, I feel like I'm good to go and it's just whatever is going to be ahead of us. Just I know it's a tough schedule coming up, but I, I, like I said, I'm good to go and I'm not. It's not up to me to if I'm on a minute restriction or anything like that. I feel I feel perfectly fine to go. And I agree with you, Mark. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a real boost for this team when he's been healthy, and that includes his entire career mostly. When he's healthy, he's he's obviously pretty effective. He just has to continue doing what he does best. Obviously, you know, when his when his game is really cooking, he's able to hit from the outside. That's really his bread and butter. But He's got to go inside. It's the old adage for me, make a layup and then hit a jump shot. Well, I think he's watched the way the offense has functioned without him over this last month or so. And he's seen that one of the really things I like about the Billy Donovan system is there's a lot of weak side action, a lot of backdoor cuts. It's not just pick and roll, kick it out to an open shooter. They're trying to get some screens going and get guys cutting to the basket. I think Lowry can function pretty well in that. You know, this is a really important 38-game stretch for Markinen. He and his agent were not able to come to an agreement with the Bulls on an extension to his rookie deal. And he has to prove that he can be durable, that he can be available for the second half of the season, and also that he can put up the kind of numbers that we saw in a limited sample size during the first half. You know, we've talked about the fact that a lot of teams that kind of hoarded cap space anticipating, you know, guys like Giannis and AD and Paul George might be available this, this summer in free agency now. They've got that cap space. They've got to spend it on somebody. My feeling is that Lowry is going to get an offer sheet that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for the Bulls, and they're going to have to make a tough decision on whether or not they match. I don't know what AK and Mark Eversley think in their evaluations of Lowry. He was very complimentary, AK was, in his, comp in his uh, comments to the media last week, which we played. But 
It's going to be a tough decision. You know, if some team with cap space decides to offer Lowry a near max deal, I'm not so sure the Bulls are going to be of the mind to match. Yeah, I I, I share your sentiments on that. Uh, I guess it's a 50-50 situation. I tend to think that maybe they're not going to go uh, in the direction of re-signing them, but obviously that's a little, a little ways down the road. We're going to hear from Billy Donovan. We're going to hear from Zach Levine. Um, you know, we're talking about the schedule, though, Mark, and again, they open up, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, they open up against Philadelphia tonight. They play Miami tomorrow, Toronto on Sunday, then a couple of games next week before they hit the road. Oklahoma City is probably the easiest, obviously, of the five games at home. And then they finish against San Antonio. We're going to talk about the, the Spurs and LaMarcus Aldridge as we move on a little bit later in this podcast. But it's interesting because, you know, delving into – Further into the uh, uh, record that the Bulls had in the first half, two games under 500, they played 16 games against teams that were 500 or better. They only won four of those games, Mark. And of the four games that they won, they're really those teams weren't that good either. They beat Dallas twice, and Dallas was beat up a couple of times when they played them. They beat the Knicks, who were only one game over 500 themselves, and they beat Indiana. And Indiana's really not that good this season either. So, uh, it makes you think, well, even though the Bulls have played better going into the All-Star break and the schedule is really tough here in the second half, are they going to be up to the schedule because it's obviously going to be very hard? And I think I saw earlier today that whatever odds makers say, they have a 39% chance of making the postseason. Well, we're seeing in this first game right off the bat against Philadelphia, they're playing a 76ers team that will be without their best players, the All-Stars. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons both held out for uh, contact tracing under the health and safety protocols. So they're going to get a big advantage right away. Can they take advantage of it and win that game and not let it get away? I mean, this is an important game really to set the tone for the second half because when a depleted 76er squad comes in here, that all of a sudden that looks like a game that they should win. Miami has been up and down all year. They played a little bit better before the break, but they're certainly not the world beater team that got to the finals a year ago. Uh, Toronto has struggled. As you mentioned, they play Oklahoma City, which is a team they should beat at home. And then San Antonio comes in, and they've I think they've overachieved to this point. I think they're going to fall back a little bit in the second half of the season. So there is a chance to win three or four games on this homestand, and then maybe you're feeling pretty good about yourself because, as I mentioned, you go on the road and play Denver and Utah, I give them little or no chance to win those games. So you got you got to make some hay at home. And, you know, you'd hate to start the second half with all this goodwill you built up the improved team, or we're trending in the right direction. Let's say they lose four out of five in the homestand, get blasted on the road, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, we, we should have traded Thad Young when we held on to him. Well, speaking of the trading deadline, um, and we're going to give our opinions on what we think is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Um, it is coming up in two weeks. I believe it's two weeks from Friday, two weeks from tomorrow then. Um, Billy Donovan here talks about the ongoing conversations that he, along with Arturis Karnishevis, have had. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been meeting with Arturis ever since being back with the All-Star break. You know, we, we talk. Um, obviously, those... <laughs> conversations are, are personal and private but um you know i think he's always going to look to uh field phone calls and take phone calls from different teams make phone calls i think that's his job but you know i think in, in talking to him you know we we feel good about you know the, the the growth of the team and the team you know improving and getting better like i said i think before the break started you know we're not uh, excited or happy with you know being under 500 but 
I think the guys have done a good job and we're continuing to try to get better. But those will be conversations, I think, for our tourists and I that will continue on for the next couple of weeks leading up to the, to, to the deadline. And, uh, you know, in, in hearing from Billy Donovan the other day, Mark, I mean, he's obviously not going to tell you what those conversations are. Uh, he says they are ongoing. And he said that, honestly, they haven't really reached its apex yet of those conversations where the coaching staff in whole, along with Karnishevis staff in whole, have not sat down. But rather, Donovan and Karnishevis, they might meet in the hallway or they might meet by, you know, the exercise equipment and have some brief uh, conversations. So I think, you know, it's still bubbling at, at this point. And I think, uh, you know, there's still more to come, if you will. Well, this five-game homestand we talked about is all going to happen in a seven-day period. So by this time next week, they may have a good idea about which direction they're going to go. The, the trade deadline, as you mentioned, is March 25th. After they play this homestand, they're going to have one week to go before the deadline. And I think they'll have a pretty good idea at that point whether or not they would consider trading off some of their vets like Thad Young, Tomas Sadoransky, and Garrett Temple, who would have some value on contending teams as bench pieces it could go in, in either direction. It wouldn't shock me if our tourist decides that, you know, the, the value is going to be high on these guys because it's going to be a seller's market. I'm not going to get the same value in the summertime trying to move some of these pieces. So I would not be shocked at all if they make a move to trade one of these veteran players, especially if they stumble a little bit getting out of this gate in the second half. Yeah, and I think you're right on target. I think these five games at home might go a long way in determining what happens in the next couple of weeks. If I had a hazard a guess, Mark, and it's obviously only a guess, and I wish I had my shot glass up to the wall so I can hear what these guys are actually talking about, I don't think Thad Young is going to be traded. I think they value what he does for the team not only on the court, maybe to make the playoffs, but also what it does for some of those young players like Patrick Williams and, and Wendell Carter Jr. and even Lowry Markkinen. I don't think that uh, Garrett Temple is going to really get you that much in trade value, but if he gets the right offer for Thomas Sadoransky, I think that's the guy who could be traded, and that would almost be the cap on his weird season because he had to sit down not once but twice because of the whole COVID situation. I could see Sadoransky potentially being traded especially if a team is looking for a backup point guard, a veteran help also coming off the bench. The Bulls probably still feel that, um, you know, they, they still have other players. Archie Diakono can probably, you know, play the backup role, not as well as Sadoransky, but he could fill in until they have to figure out what to do with that position going forward, even in the offseason. So I don't think Thad uh, Young, unless something, unless somebody really knocks their socks off here, I don't think he's going to go anywhere, but I could see Sadoransky potentially being traded. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to trade Thad Young. Uh, you know, up to a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was a strong possibility. He has played so well. You could make the argument he's been the second best Bulls player this season behind Zach Levine in terms of his efficiency, not the raw numbers, but just his impact on winning and losing. So I can understand why they will want to ha hang on to Thad Young. Billy Donovan has done a masterful job of really unlocking his role in the offense, you know, playing the mid post, uh, passing and scoring in the paint. He's been so effective. He's also had a positive influence on their young guys. So I agree. I don't think they're going to trade Thad Young unless some crazy offer came in that they just uh, couldn't bypass. Sato, though, if you traded him, you know, he would have value on a contending team because he's 6'7". He can play three positions along the perimeter. But I, I, th I don't think any team's going to give you a first-round draft pick for, for Thomas Sadoransky. I think you'd be looking at a second-round pick, and then you're wondering, is it even worth it to get a the pick in the second round from a contending team? I agree now that I think they're going to address point guard in the offseason, 
And when you look at the impact that Chris Paul has had on the Phoenix Suns, you know, they were a team similar to the Bulls. They had a lot of lottery picks, but they were kind of floundering with trying to find some leadership and some consistency. Chris Paul has galvanized that entire unit. It wouldn't shock me if the Bulls took a, a look at a guy like Kyle Lowry, who's going to be a free agent this summer. He's 35 years old. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but maybe Kyle Lowry could be the piece that kind of brings this all together. There's going to be some other guys in free agency. Goran Dragic, uh, Drew Holiday up in Milwaukee has a player option for next season. He could enter the free agent market. So they'll have some options to look at some veteran guys. I also saw someone posted uh, the other day about maybe they would try to get Spencer Dinwiddie back here because with all the additions at Brooklyn, he's kind of priced himself out of that situation. So that might be a name to watch as well as we head into the offseason. I think there will be a move on the point guard front. I think they'll look at Kobe as more of that electric scoring guard, six-man type of player. And, you know, you and I have talked about the point guard a lot. I don't know that you absolutely have to have a point guard, but I think that Billy Donovan and AK are more in line with your thinking, that they should have more of a traditional point guard running that offense. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, that's further down the road. I want to get back to the standings because the Eastern Conference, who knows, maybe it's going to be this way all year, although I think it'll loosen up as time goes on. Um, you know, from the top to the bottom. Philadelphia and Brooklyn are the two top teams in the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee will end up being the third seed overall. Boston, um, again, Boston in fourth place is being chased by a lot of teams. And Boston is sort of underachieved, and they've had some injury problems as well. Then the Knicks are fifth. They're only one game over 500. Who knows? Maybe Tom Thibodeau is going to be coach of the year. You know, if he gets that team into the postseason, that'll be something else. Uh, Charlotte right now is sixth. Toronto is uh, no. Tor- uh, Charlotte is seventh. Toronto is eighth. The Bulls are ninth. Both those teams two games under five hundred. Indiana and Atlanta right behind. So obviously, Mark, it's really, really, really bunched up from fourth all the way down to where uh, the tenth position is. Uh, here's Billy Donovan. He says, "You know what? Uh, I can't just think about this uh, standings on a day in day out basis. It'll drive me and everybody else crazy." I don't know. I think there was a point in time in the year where, you know, we were, I don't know, the bottom of the league and, you know, maybe only a couple of games out of a playoff spot. And then all of a sudden, a certain point of the year, we were in the sixth spot of the playoff spot. And then all of a sudden, we're in the ninth spot. Then we're in the tenth spot. I, I think if you look at that stuff every day, you drive yourself crazy, right? Because it's all congested. Our, our biggest thing is, you know, May 16th, I, I believe, is the last regular season game. That day... Uh, is going to come here eventually. Uh, what we've got to do is we've got to focus on what we've got to do to win each day. We, you know, we've got to get better as a team. And I think if we start putting our focus too far down the road, if we start putting our focus on what's going on in the standings, I think you miss an opportunity to get better. All right, well, he can't think about it, but we certainly can, right? <laughs> yeah, and I understand where he's coming from because of the fact that all those teams are so tightly bunched. But you look at the fact that Boston, Miami, and Toronto, three teams that we thought were absolute playoff locks, really got off to slow starts. They've had problems with injuries and COVID protocols. I think all three of those teams will start to pull away from the rest of that pack in the second half of the season. So I think those three, to go along with the ones that you mentioned, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, that's six teams that are guaranteed to be in the playoffs. And I think Indiana is going to show some improvement in the second half. They're hoping to get Karis LeVert finally in uniform. Uh, of course, he had the uh, kidney surgery after they found out that uh, he had a cancerous growth after the trade. 
when he got a physical when they had the multi-team trade for James Harden. So getting Karis LeVert on that team, I think, will help them. I think Indiana will probably be in the playoffs. So really, I think for that eight spot, you're looking at the Knicks, you're looking at Charlotte, you're looking at the Bulls. And I wouldn't be surprised if Washington gets in that conversation because they're playing a lot better now. Russell Westbrook seems to have settled into a role with that team. He missed some games earlier in the season because of injury. I think Washington might get in that mix as well for one of those playing spots. Yeah, I was going to make mention of Washington because obviously over the last month or maybe even five weeks, they've played much, much better basketball. And Westbrook is a big reason why. And and Bradley Beal continues to score 30-plus points a game. Unfortunately, they dug themselves such a hole at the beginning of the season. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up. And I haven't looked at their schedule in the second half to, to see if they're going to be able to climb any further. Right now, they're about three or four games behind everybody else, but time will tell. Um, let's move on to Zach Levine. Um, he played, obviously, in the All-Star game in Atlanta. It was a thrill and a half for him. And and just, uh, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, he was added to the USA basketball roster. So Zach Levine is is finally getting the acclaim that he deserves. Yeah, and Zach loved every part of being in Atlanta to play with the greatest players in the game. And, you know, you look at the box score, he was very unselfish in that game. There were a lot of shots that he bypassed that I think under normal circumstances he would have put up. I think he just wanted to fit in with the rest of the guys and let them know that he wasn't going to try to hog the ball. When you look at the minutes played, I believe he was like uh, tied with another player for the third most minutes. So there had been some rumors that Doc Rivers was trying to work a trade to get Zach Levine to Philadelphia. That's not going to happen, but... Obviously, Doc feels highly about Zach's ability. He gave him a lot of minutes, and I thought Zach showed himself well. He, you know, he scored 13 points. He got like four rebounds, three steals, three assists. I think for his All-Star debut, he did pretty well. And you know, we're going to hear him talking about possibly recruiting. I'm sure he had some conversations along the way with some guys that, hey, things have turned around in Chicago. The culture is so much better now that we've got. Uh, you know, a quality head coach in there. We've got a front office that's going to be proactive, and this might be a place you want to consider down the road. Yeah, we're going to hear from Zach on a few different uh, topics here in just a second, but Zach will learn that it's okay to be a hog in the All-Star game. It's not okay to be a hog in in a lot of other situations, but in the the NBA All-Star game, it's okay to hog the basketball. I mean, I, I take a look at James Harden. James Harden, you know, and, 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 and I saw him, you know, coming down the court and, and I didn't watch the entire All-Star game. It drives me nuts after a while. But enough of it that I saw that James Harden came down. He was one on four and he put up a three pointer from like 35 feet. That's the All-Star game, you know, uh, and Zach will learn that it's OK to do stuff like that in All-Star game situations. Let's talk about, though, uh, the trading deadline again with Zach Levine. You know, he was asked while he was down in Atlanta do you want to go for it, or would you understand if the organization decides to make a trade of one of the veteran players? Like I, I usually try to stay out of it, but I'm I'm somebody that's always looking to improve and get better. You know, I want to I, I want to have a chance of going for the playoffs, and you know that's always been on my on my mind is how can I help and um, you know going from there. That's that's one of our goals. And no real surprise, Mark. I mean, he wants to be in the postseason, so he wants to hang on to all his teammates. Yeah, as members of the media, we can try to play both sides of the fence and say, well, there's advantages to doing it one way or the other. But for Zach, there's only one way to go. This is his seventh year in the league. He's never been to the playoffs. He's never been on a team that had a winning record. So that question is going to be answered only one way. He would be in favor of them making a trade, maybe to bring in an Andre Drummond to solidify their their interior defense, even though Drummond's not a great defender. He's more of a stat guy. Um 
you know, I, Zach would be happy if they would make an addition to the roster instead of thinking about trading off for draft picks. He's probably thinking the last thing we need is, is to pick another guy between, you know, five and 10 and try to work him in. He goes, I, I want some veterans who can help me win right now. No question. You you mentioned that uh, he was asked about recruiting while he was down there, and that's obviously the place where the um, potential free agents are all talking to each other. And I'm sure many GM kind of moves by the players have been done in all-star game settings. So here's Zach Levine, his thoughts on possibly recruiting to try and help this organization down the road. You know, man, I just want to let people know my personality. <clears throat> you know, I think I'm pretty, you know, well-liked guy around the league and um, you know, being able to share, you know, what, you know, what we have going on right now. And, um, like you said, not recruit, but, you know, make, you know, make some more friends, I guess. You know, I'm, I think, I, I think I can do that pretty well. And there you have it, Mark. I mean, he, he says that, uh, and we're going to hear one more from him in just a second here, but you know, he's not adverse to doing it. And there, I don't think there's any question. The, these guys talk to each other all the time. And if he wants to uh, remain a bull and, and try and help the organization, obviously he's going to help recruit. Well, I saw that he was buddying up to Zion Williamson. So good good on you, Zach. That's a good guy to try to recruit. I have no idea what Zion's plans are long-term, but my guess is he won't spend his entire career playing in sleepy New Orleans where uh, fans don't really care that much about basketball. They're more football fans down there. So, yeah, if he could recruit Zion, that, that'd be a good place to start. Because when you look at the all-star rosters this year, outside of Kawhi Leonard, who has a player option, there's really not going to be anybody available this summer. And Kawhi worked so hard to get to his native Southern California. I don't see any scenario where Kawhi leaves sunny Southern California to come to Chicago. So that, that's probably a non-starter. Who knows who he talked to? I don't know if there's other guys out there that would be interested in, in coming to a cold-weather city. Uh, it probably depends a lot on how much the Bulls progress over the next year or so. But they're trending in the right direction. It was great to have Zach represent the Bulls at the All-Star game. And and who knows, maybe he laid a foundation for, for some conversations that can be had that maybe one day will lead to one of those stars coming to Chicago. All right, one more from Zach Levine, uh, again, on recruiting. He says there's no pressure on him to try and do just that. I mean, I don't worry about those type of things. I always try to let the, you know, the people with the with the hat on do that. But, you know, what I can do is always go out there and, and show people what we're about, you know, if you ask questions. This is a player-driven league. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll take Zion Williamson, but I think New Orleans is going to try and hold on to him. Did you see, you know, Zion missed one game before the All-Star break. Um, I guess he he sat down one game and that team lost by what, 30, 35 points or whatever it was. So uh, I think uh, the Pelicans know that he's their meal ticket and they'll try and keep him for the long term. But it sort of happens that these guys and, and Giannis was sort of the exception to the rule, Mark. I mean, Giannis decided to stay in, in the small, no offense to Milwaukee City, but uh, we'll we'll see if Zion Williamson follows that lead. I was kind of curious, you know, the last game before the break was the Bulls playing down in New Orleans, and Zion was a one-man wrecking crew early in that game. Bulls had no chance. He was doing high-speed drives to the bucket, scoring at will, and then he disappeared in the second and third quarters. He didn't score at all. Brandon Ingram came out in the second half and was taking shot after shot after shot to try to get himself going. Something's going on down there, David. I'm not sure exactly what it is. We know that Stan Van Gundy is a very strong-willed coach, Kind of runs hot and cold on players. You know, uh, a month or six weeks ago, he had kind of soured on Lonzo Ball. That's when all the trade rumors about Lonzo popped up. 
Also, that we heard that J.J. Redick was probably going to get moved. And now it seems like Lonzo's back in his favor and he's playing more minutes. But the way they run that system is a little bit odd. You know, they tried to put the ball in Zion's hands at the top of the key and let him initiate some offense. But then, you know, you have Brandon Ingram deciding, I need some shots. You have some of the guards hoisting up threes. It's a weird situation there. And I think that David Griffin, who's the head of basketball operations, used to be with LeBron in Cleveland. I think he's going to do some serious work with that roster. And I don't know how long Stan Van Gundy is going to be for that situation because he's got a young roster. And, you know, Jackson Hayes wasn't playing at all. He came out in the fourth quarter and really helped fuel a rally against the Bulls. There's a lot of things that have to be done with that roster. And I'm not sure Stan Van Gundy is the right guy to lead that group. So I, I keep an eye on Zion. I don't think he's going to stay in, in uh, New Orleans forever. Obviously, they're not going to trade Zion. But I think that he could be a guy that might be in play down the road. You know, really interesting, Mark, because I thought they had a really good coach in Gentry before um, they decided to make the change and go to Van Gundy. Um, I don't know if there was personality conflict, although, I mean, Gentry doesn't seem to be a kind of person that you have any kind of personality conflict with. So I don't know. I don't know what was really going on down there. But you're right. Keep your eyes on Zion Williamson. Obviously, he's playing under the rookie contract. So anyway, Mark, I mean, the Bulls can dream. Um, It might be another year, two or three down the road. But I think we're both of the belief that Zion will not play his entire career down in New Orleans. And who knows? The Bulls will need, ultimately, in my opinion, and I think you share it as well, they're going to need another star player if indeed they hang on to Zach Levine. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Lonzo Ball makes a move before the deadline on the 25th, because like Lowry Markkinen, he's going to be a restricted free agent, and his price tag may be a little bit more than the Pelicans want to pay. I mean, they're already paying uh, max contract to Brandon Ingram. They've got a lot of high-salary players on their roster. They've brought in Steven Adams, who has a pretty big contract. So it's gonna, that's going to be a team to watch in terms of how that roster changes over the next couple of years. Obviously, as we mentioned, they're not going to trade Zion Williamson at any point, but he may try to get to free agency and, and get himself into a better situation. I mean, the kid came into the league at 19 years old. He's going to be one of the faces of the NBA for the next 10 to 15 years. And I, I'm sure that he and his representatives want to make sure he's in the best situation possible, both for marketing and, and for chances to win a championship. Better to be in Chicago for marketing purposes than New Orleans. Exactly. No sense, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, you mentioned Otto Porter earlier on. Um, he's quote-unquote healthy. Um, I think he'll even play in, in, in these upcoming games, starting with tonight's game in, uh, against Philadelphia. But there's rumors that uh, the Bulls might try and – they're not – well, they can try and trade him. He's, he is an expiring contract, but I don't see that happening. But there is at least a chance that they could buy him out and he could go somewhere else as a free agent. What do you think to, uh, about that possibility? Well, as you mentioned, the only way they could trade Otto Porter is if they took back a contract with multiple years on it, you know, a really bad contract that some team is trying to unload. You know, people have speculated, well, you could trade him for Andre Drummond. They're making the same amount of money. Why would Cleveland take on Otto Porter Jr., who, you know, is is rarely available? They've got some young guys in, in Chetty Osman and the kid they drafted out of Auburn who uh, you know, are playing that small forward position. So they, they're not going to want to bring in Otto Porter. The only way you're going to trade him is if you take back an onerous contract, and that's not something that AK is going to do. I could see him buying him out, though, because you know if you get him to give back 2 or $3 million to take the buyout, we know the Reinstars love to save a little bit of money here and there, and that would be something you know, that's a sunk cost. It's not like uh, 
you're losing anything in the deal. I, I, I could see the Bulls buying him out, saving a few million, and letting him sign with a contending team. That's that's probably why he worked hard over the All-Star break to try to get back. He wants to show contending teams, I'm back, I can help you, you know, I'm going to work on a buyout, try to bring me in. It wouldn't shock me at all if the Bulls buy him out. Well, it was really interesting when he was asked that question on the Zoom session the other day. He he almost he feigned like I I I never heard anything about this before, which tells me that's exactly what's been talked about with him and his agent, and probably the Bulls to a degree as well. So yeah, I can easily see that happening. Um, they're pretty key in the second half of the season. They all are, obviously. Wendell Carter's got to stay healthy, um, and he needs a lot of help on the inside, especially against bigger centers. Um, but I want to see more out of Patrick Williams, Mark. You know, yes, uh, he's still a rookie player. He's still the second youngest player, I think, in the league, yada, yada. But he's shown that he can play at this level. And when he's um, when he's aggressive, he shows what he potentially can be even further down the road. I want to see his game stepped up here in the second half. Yeah, we'd love to see him be more aggressive, especially taking the ball to the basket. I, I don't really like to see him just standing on the perimeter trying to be a catch-and-shoot three-point guy, because that's not who he is. It's 6'8", 225. You know, he does kind of remind you of Kawhi Leonard. He's got the massive hands that he can palm the ball. He can go strong to the basket and, and finish over the top of big men. I like to see him try to pick up that part of his game and work on his three-point shooting during the offseason, because, as we've mentioned, his three-point shot's more of a set shot with a very high arc, not something you see from a lot of NBA players. So I think that's something that needs to be smoothed out a little bit, get a bit of a quicker release. But going to the basket... He's tough to stop, and he's you know he, he was a point guard growing up, so he's got decent handles. I think that's a part of his game that they need to expand during the second half. Hundred percent. All right. Before we get to our walk down memory lane segment, uh, a few other things around the league. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge is not going to be a San Antonio Spur for much longer. It sure looks like um, there's no animosity going on down there. It just seems like much like with Otto Porter, where um, the Bulls potentially and hopefully will buy him out. That's what uh, San Antonio is either going to do or they're going to find a trading partner. Lamarcus Aldridge was taken out of the starting lineup, something that he's obviously been accustomed to since he came into the league. And he just doesn't feel like he wants to come off the bench. So I could see him potentially being traded or bought out. He's going to go somewhere in the very near future, Mark. Yeah, and there's some contending teams that would like to bring him in as a scorer off the bench, a guy to give him a little bit of a low post presence. But, you know, I don't see a lot of San Antonio basketball, I'll be honest. That's not a team that's been featured much on national broadcasts over the last few years. Not a team that you would seek out an NBA league pass because they don't really have a lot of wow factor with that team. But in the games I've seen of Aldrich, he is noticeably slowed. You know, you see him changing ends of the court. It seems like he's laboring up and down the floor. And he, a few years ago, he kind of tried to add the three-point shot to his arsenal with moderate success. Uh, he's more of a 12 to 15 footer turnaround jump shot kind of guy, which has kind of fallen out of favor in today's NBA. Uh, you know, I know that I've re I read a couple articles saying that there's a pretty good market for him, which kind of surprised me. You know, there's talk about maybe he'll go back to Portland where they've had injuries to Yusuf Nurkic and, and uh, Zach Collins. That might be something that would fit. You know, I'd probably appeal to the people in Portland for, for sentimentality. But I don't see him being a big factor in a playoff race. I'm sure he'll surface somewhere. But I think uh, the, the highly productive years of LaMarcus Aldridge are long gone. 
doesn't it seem like a hundred years ago when he was drafted by the Bulls and then got traded elsewhere and never, you know, really appeared in a Bulls uniform? And he had a hell of a career. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. For a long, long time, he was a premier um, power forward. You know, not the most powerful power forward. You know, the, the, he made his living mostly like you said, 12 to 15 feet. And he had some incredible games against the Bulls. I remember sitting courtside where he would have like, he would hit 12 of 13 shots from the field. So he had a long NBA career. And he, obviously he wants to go out with some kind of champion uh, contending team. Yeah, as you mentioned, that was the 2006 draft. So what, it's 2021. That's a long time to be playing in the NBA, especially for a big man who's more of a finesse guy than a guy who relied on power and just uh, sheer size. So Wish LaMarcus well, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, we've heard a lot of talk that Andre Drummond, if he gets a buyout, might join the Lakers, which would just make me sick. You know, I'm just so tired of LeBron just cherry-picking any player that he wants. Um, you know, they brought in Marc Gasol to be the starting center, and, and we talked about that. You know, we said Gasol had very little left. He's not playing much at all. He's kind of in the Keith Bogans role where he starts both halves, and then they bring in Montrez Harrell to play the bulk of the minutes. So, yeah, I could see the Lakers cherry picking Drummond and, you know, him picking up a championship ring. I, it just makes me sick. That's one of the things I've always hated. Even when the Bulls were in a contending situation, they very rarely explored the buyout market. I've always felt that was an unfair aspect to the whole uh, roster composition. But, you know, the contending teams love it. And uh, I don't think there's any movement uh, to change it in, in the near future. All right, a couple other tidbits. Uh, the trading deadline, again, coming up in a couple of weeks. Some of the other names that are prominently mentioned, and it's more so where, where teams want to get rid of some of these players for whatever reasons. Although Jeremy Grant has had a great season so far. He, he might be the most improved player in the NBA, but ultimately it might be with two different teams before this season's over. He might be on the trading uh, block. Uh, Marvin Bagley, I saw his name, Buddy Heald, another one. I think Sacramento especially, you know, with Halliburton playing the way he has, maybe Buddy Heald is, is available for some kind of trade. So these are just some of the names that could be traded over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, a guy that I used to work with in the, in the NBC system, uh, Sherrod Blakely, who covers the Celtics very closely, he mentioned the fact that uh, there's a possibility Boston would be willing to trade three first-round draft picks to get Jeremy Grant, which is kind of mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah, and, and Danny Ainge has pretty much burned through that uh, – collection of picks he had from various sources, Brooklyn, Sacramento, Memphis. He was having three picks, and he wasted them, really. It was kind of like Jerry Krause in 2000 when he made six picks and you know got very little value in that. They've, they've taken made all three of their first-round picks each of the last two years and only added modest talent along the way. So maybe Ainge is tired of the whole draft pick thing. I mean, Jeremy Grant, obviously the uh, nephew of Horace Grant, son of Harvey, um, has played ex exceptionally well, averaging over 20 points a game. He could really give Boston a boost. The problem is, you know, he plays the same position as Jason Tatum, so you kind of wonder how that would work. But Ainge has admitted that he's failed in putting this roster together. He used the words that our roster is not good, and this is the, the head of basketball operations saying that. So don't be surprised if Boston makes a big move before March 25th. I agree. Uh, one other tidbit around the league, and it's an unfortunate one. Um, a longtime uh, um, broadcasting icon, Joe Tate, passed away the other day. Joe Tate was the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers for decades, and I worked alongside with him. I, I've been very fortunate, Mark, that I've worked alongside many, many, many of the icon broadcasters in the NBA over the last 30, 40 years. Joe Tate was certainly one of them. 
Yeah, obviously so popular in the Cleveland area, had so many great calls, classic calls along the way. You know, that franchise came in as as one of the worst in NBA history in their expansion years. I remember uh, Bingo Smith and, and, and some of the guys, Austin Carr, who is a broadcaster now, was one of their star players early on. So, yeah, Joe Tate's been through it all as a Cleveland Cavaliers broadcaster. And uh, obviously we send out well wishes to his family. All right, time now for our walk down memory lane segment. I'll lead off this one. And you instilled the uh, idea in my head even from last week. You were talking about Ben Wallace and the whole headband situation. So um, I remember it very distinctly. Obviously, that was the season where, you know, he came over as a free agent and, you know, he was known to wear the headband and all that kind of stuff. But with the Bulls, specifically from Jerry Reinsdorf, he didn't want his players to wear headbands. I think he's changed over the years, but at that point he said no. Well, Scott Skiles was the coach back then, and Skiles, which is sort of interesting, Skiles was a rebel in his own right, but in this one instance, he sort of followed the lead of the organization, and he wouldn't allow Ben Wallace to be a rebel, which is sort of contradictory. Anyway, it came to a head. It was that famous game at Madison Square Garden, and ironically, I was there for that one because I was traveling with the Bears uh, that uh, that year, and the Bears were playing it the next day uh, against the New England Patriots, and I was traveling with our good buddy Les Grobstein, so we went to Madison Square Garden for the game on Saturday night before going uh, to the game against uh, the Patriots the next day, and so we were at Madison Square Garden, and that's the game where Wallace, you know, I guess he finally had had it. I'm going to wear that headband no matter what, and he put it on and he started the game. And I don't know if Skiles didn't see it or he was just seething. But two minutes into the game, he yanked him out of the game. And then, you know, uh, he said, go sit down on the bench. And Wallace sat down at the end of the bench. And the assistant coaches came and talked to him for a while. And, you know, I don't know if they were able to, you know, get him to see their way. But finally, he said, OK, fine. He took the headband off. They inserted him back into the game. I think it was in the second quarter. And then um, he did it again to start the second half or at some juncture in the third quarter, he put the headband back on again and Skiles yanked him out of the game yet again. So then, you know, obviously that was a big story. Skiles, Ben Wallace, Madison Square Garden, all that kind of stuff. And we uh, went down to talk to him uh, at Madison Square Garden in the locker rooms down there. And they've changed it over the years. I'm told it's much, much better than it was back then. It's a dump back then. Um, we waited outside the locker room. It must have been a half hour. And you know they have the 10-minute rule in the NBA. Well, they blew by that one and then some. We finally got in. Skiles really had nothing to say. Wallace really had nothing to say. But it became a big story because Ben Wallace, you know, went against the organization. And I can't really remember what happened the next day or, or a week or a month after the fact. But that particular day, that was a big story. Yeah, and Ben Wallace was such a dog during his time in Chicago. You know, he got the big free agent contract. It seemed like he never really fit in well with Skiles or maybe the other players on the roster. He really underperformed his whole time here. And, you know, when I saw the list of uh, Hall of Fame finalists announced this year, and once again, Ben Wallace was featured. And, yes, he is a four-time defensive player of the year, but, you know, he couldn't score if you locked him in the gym all night. You know, it just – uh, you know, I, I'm not a big Ben Wallace fan. I'm probably I impacted by the fact that, that you know, he did he really did nothing during his time in Chicago. But I think at some point he'll get in. It, that seems to be way things are trending for the Hall of Fame. But when you look at this year's list, you know, there, there are so many more deserving candidates. Uh, you know, Wallace, it, it seems like 
the basketball hall of fame is probably the easiest one to get into. So I think that Wallace will get in eventually, but his time in Chicago and, and the headband incident was just one of many where you wondered what, what was, what was his motivation at the time when he was here? Well, I went to the basketball hall of fame, you know, we're, we're sort of veering off here. Um, it's in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. And right. I went there for the Michael Jordan. Yeah, in I was the- there too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I honestly, Mark, I was disappointed. It was really, yeah. It it really wasn't much, to be honest with you. I don't know if they've upscaled it ever since then, but I was really disappointed. There really was not there much, and I'm such a basketball junkie like you. I was expecting so much more, and I was let down. Yeah, just a bunch of plaques hanging on the wall. I mean, there's really no distinction. You know, they, they need to have, and I'm sure they've upgraded it some. That was a while ago. I'm sure there's more multimedia exhibits and stuff, but you're right. You walk through there, all you see are plaques with guys' stats and, you know, very, it was very underwhelming at the time. Hopefully, they they, they had some upgrades. What's your uh, walk down memory lane seg- uh, segment? Well, I uh, once again I changed because of something we talked about. So I'll save. I had a story about uh, Derek Rose, but we'll talk about that many times over the coming weeks. Let's let's stick with that 2006 draft. And I remember, you know, guys like you and I who are basketball lifers and who love the draft and the influx of new talent. You, know, you watch the standings late in the year. You're thinking, wow, the Bulls could get the first pick in the in the draft. That was from the Eddie Curry trade, wasn't it, that they had the Knicks pick? So, you know, you're watching the standings, and you're hoping that oh, they could they could get the first pick. Well, it turns out they got number two, and you're thinking, oh, damn, they're, you know, that's I'm not sure. It wasn't a really strong draft to start with. So as the weeks progressed, reports kept coming out of Toronto, which won the lottery, that they were going to take Andrea Bargnani. And we didn't know much about the guy, you know, the guy from Italy. And at that point, most Europeans had been somewhat disappointed. So you're thinking, yeah, let them take Bargnani. That means Aldridge will fall to the Bulls at two. And so, you know, as the draft developed, that's exactly how it played out. Toronto takes Bargnani. The Bulls are announced selecting LaMarcus Aldridge. And then immediately we find out minutes later that there's a prearranged trade where Tyrus Thomas was selected for by Portland. And then there was a swap with the Bulls. And the Bulls, as a sweetener, got a player from Russia by the name of Viktor Kriapa. Now, back in those days, John Paxson was more uh, visible in the media. And he came in shortly after the draft to appear on Sports Talk Live, which was probably called Chicago Tribune Live back then. So Pax was in studio. And, you know, so I saw him walk in and I, I stopped him right away. And, and I said, well, what, you know, why'd you make that deal? I mean, what, what did you like about Tyrus Thomas? And he said, well, they're intrigued by his potential. You know, he had the great NCAA tournament. LSU made the final four. He was a guy who could run and jump and look great on highlight tapes, but really had no offensive game. And he said the same thing that we were reading from NBA scouting directors and draft analysts saying he could be the next Sean Marion. You know, if he develops an outside shot, well, that never happened, of course, because Tyrus was a stubborn guy and you always wondered about how hard he worked on his game in the offseason. But the point I want to get to was Pax was raving about Victor Kriapa. He goes, this wasn't just a throw-in. He goes, this Kriapa is a really good player. You know, he wasn't even playing in Portland. Um, you know, I'm not sure what his international resume was. But he goes, we think Kriapa is a guy that could be in our rotation and can really help us on the front court. So, you know, he got seduced by the possibility of a sweetener with this no-name guy at the end of the Portland bench. And that was one of the reasons why he traded down, you know, to take Tyrus Thomas. You know, Tyrus Thomas was the it guy going into that draft because he could run and dunk. And I think that a lot of NBA teams were also concerned that Aldridge 
was thin at the time coming out of Texas, and they thought that he got pushed around on the block, and they didn't know exactly if he could hold his ground in the paint. That was a mistake, but, you know, as as I talk with a lot of people about, if they had taken LaMarcus Aldridge, they never would have gotten Derrick Rose two years later. So maybe in the long run, it didn't really matter. But just it just goes to show you how GM sometimes can get infatuated with bit players who are never going to see the light of day on your team. And that was the case there because they were excited to get both Thomas and Victor Kriapa in that draft. Victor Kriapa, oh my God, yeah. that's, that's an acid flashback in itself. And it, it just makes me think about all the international players that the Bulls have bombed out on over the years. And yeah. they have another one in, in uh, you know, that Karnishevis, hopefully, you know, he's got a little bit better instinct. And I even forget the kid's name right now. He's uh, 6'11". Yeah, Marco Simonovic. Thank you. I couldn't pronounce that if my life was on the line. But anyway, hopefully he will be an upgrade over some of the other names in the past. Maybe next week we'll talk about some of the stiffs that came over from <laughs> from uh, Yugoslavia and everywhere yeah. else. Oh, my God. There's one Dragon after. Dragon Tarlock. Dragon yeah. Tarlac. Dalibor Bagaric. Yeah. I mean, uh, fortunately, Nocioni turned out to be a pretty heck of a good player. Yeah. 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 Pat loved him, too. And obviously, Tony Kukoc helped them win championships. But for all the good players that they got from, you know, across the, the pond or South America, there's like a spate of just total dogs that came over. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll save that for next week. I want to do one more segment here, Mark. Um, and I've been holding off on this one. We've talked about beer. We've talked Chicago beer. We've talked about uh, pizza and hot dogs. But one of the staples of Chicago food is steakhouses. So I'm just wondering, and there's there's only at least a dozen or more that you know come to mind real quickly. What are your top one, two, or threes in Chicago? Well, uh, Ruth Chris is always solid. You know, I love going there. That's a, a very solid steak that you you can enjoy a meal. Um, not a ton of atmosphere, but you know you're going to get a quality quality dinner. My favorite place, though, would have to be Chicago Cut Steakhouse. You know, right along the river there, just a great atmosphere. You have outdoor dining in the summertime, which is fantastic. And it's kind of pricey, but the, the food is fantastic. The sides are great. Um, you know, I've gotten to know the, the owners a little bit and just a wonderful place to go. I would recommend Chicago Cut highly. Well, you know, I held up going to Chicago Cut for a long time, and it is the, probably the number one steakhouse in Chicago nowadays. And it is very, very expensive. I held off until I got some gift cards from coming on some of the TV <laughs> shows at NBC Sports Chicago. And I finally went and you know what? It was worth the wait. Cause it was, yeah. it was incredibly, incredibly good. And, uh, uh, so many of the Cub players, because I used to give out Chicago Cut um, uh, coupons, or if you will, for star of the game when I was doing the interviews after the Cubs game when they won, and they would all tell me, they you know, get this, get that, get this, and I never went there. So finally, when I did go there, I took all their recommendations, and I think I ordered everything off the menu, and it was all fantastic. As you mentioned, there are so many good places to get a good cut of meat, whether it's a steak or prime rib. Gene and Giorgetti's, which was very near – uh, NBC Sports Chicago is a great place to get a steak. Harry Carey's makes a really nice steak. So, you know, there's a lot of great places downtown. Um, Chicago is, is the home of, of some of the greatest steakhouses in the country. So it's, it's tough to go wrong uh, if you take one of the elite places downtown. Maestro's, Gibson's, Morton's, Sullivan. Yeah, Gibson's um, right. You mentioned Harry Carey's. Ditka's uh, back in the day. Ditka's yeah. a really good steak. Um, Shula's. Uh, Joe's, Morton's, 
And then there's the Brazilian steakhouse, and I'll probably butcher this. Is it Fogo de Chao? Right. Yeah. That's different. The first time I went there, I've been there two or three times, and they said, well, you got to sample everything. Well, unfortunately, I did sample everything, and they (laughs) they wheeled me out of there because I could not walk out. I was so stuffed. Yeah, you walk out of a place like that feeling pretty uncomfortable because you always think, well, I can taste a little bit more. And then you realize, wow, I ate way too much. Yeah, that belt loosens up like real <laughs> a lot before you walk out of there. All right, well, anyway, that's it. Uh, we'll see what happens. This is a big week for the Bulls, and they have a lot of games in a short period of time, Mark. So by the time we do our next podcast, that homestand will be over. There'll be five games in in uh, in, in the can We'll see where they are. You're, you're absolutely right. These next five games will go a long way to determine, A, what happens with them going forward this season, but maybe even more importantly, what direction they take for the rest of the season. Because if they if they bomb out, lose four or five here or something like that, and then lose the two on the road to Denver and Utah, maybe Karnishevis says, you know what, I got to pull off a trade. Yeah, this is going to say a lot about the direction of the franchise, and it's going to be great to see Lowry Markinen back in the lineup see what kind of shape he's in. Hopefully he can stay healthy. You know, I think the Bulls will do pretty well. I, I don't think they're going to just fall, you know, down the tank and, and, and struggle in the second half. I think they'll they'll continue to be competitive and be in, in just about every game. But because of the quality of the opposition, you know, they could they could incur some losses, which may change our, our tourists' thinking going into the trade deadline. Okay, great. So we'll do this again next week. And uh, you have yourself a great week, Mark. Sounds good, David. Okay. Take care, everybody. 